Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 if you haven't yet. can't remember if I said that already. Um, <clears throat> it's the way things used to look in Seattle. Uh, the kingdom, for those of you who are babies and don't know about the kingdom. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, this is uh, Safe Coast Field. I want, I want a Quest Field replaced the kingdom. That's all I can think of. When we lived in Seattle... Uh, people from outside the area used to say, do you go to the professional sports events? And I would always say, every time I get free tickets. And uh, most years we got free tickets to something. Uh, you know, somebody had extras or, or whatever it was. Uh, we even went to a Husky game one time on some free tickets somewhere. And, uh, but the only, the only team I never did see was the Sonics. You remember them? They, they moved to some other state somewhere. I'm not really a sports fanatic, uh, but I do enjoy some sports stories. And uh, Lance Armstrong was one of those stories that I enjoyed, uh, especially when he was you know, winning the Tour de France year after year after year. Uh, won a total of seven of those, if you don't know. And if you don't know, the Tour de France means they ride all around France. You know, they ride about 120-something miles a day for like 21 days or, or something like that. It's, it's a, a grueling journey. In fact, this year, the Tour de France started in Belgium, I think, you know, another whole country. And uh, this year, uh, he came out of retirement. I think he's been out for a couple of years, and he decided he's going to have a comeback. And so I'm following him in the paper every day, you know, I, in the sports page, I read things like that. And, and uh, boy, you know, it looked like he was going to put up a good fight for a while, and then pretty soon he was in like 29th place or something, and, and uh, just not going to happen. Uh, and now his professional riding career is over. He's uh, apparently no Brett Favre when it comes to comebacks. And if you don't know what makes... Part of what makes Lance Armstrong's story interesting is this. He had a very savage form of cancer many years ago before he was really well known. Now, he'd been somewhat of a champion uh, in the biking circuit, but he never won the Tour de France. And he had this really hard form of cancer, and I think he had surgery, and he also had chemo. It was extremely hard chemo, and he came out of it. And, uh, and then not only did he come back from the disease, but he came back to win seven Tour de France championships. And so he started a foundation with this uh, little rubber bracelet uh, and the saying on there, live strong. I think he's the guy that started the rubber bracelet fad. And now a lot of people use those for whatever their cause is. But he came back with this saying, live strong. And, and uh, I think that that might be a good phrase for us to remember from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure... Hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 
And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. What Lance Armstrong is saying on his bracelet is partially true. He's essentially saying this. When you get cancer, you can either lay down and die or you can fight. And his belief, I guess we would call it, as is many people, and I think there is some truth to it, is that the harder you fight, the more, uh, the more likely that you're going to come out with a good outcome. Now, we know from personal recent experience that doesn't always happen. You can fight your hardest against cancer and still lose the battle. And so it's not always true, but there's some truth to it. In contrast to that, God's truth is this. You can either allow the circumstances of your life to overrun your soul and your ministry, or you can choose to live strong in Christ. And if you do... God will cause you to mature and be an effective minister for him. The difference between God's word and Lance Armstrong's idea is that God's word is empowered by God. And God says, if you will choose to live strong, there will be an impact of strength in your life. And I want to help you understand that better today. So what does this passage teach about living strong? It teaches this, that strength begins with a decision. Now, I know that's starting to sound a little bit psychological, a little bit goofy, but you need to hold on and understand the, the, uh, the truth in this passage a minute before you pass judgment. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word therefore, that's the way the uh, New King James translates it, there's a little Greek word that, that is used to point backward to the things that have already been stated And so he's saying, listen, Timothy, everything I've just been telling you, because of that, you should be strong in Christ. You should be strong in the grace that comes in Christ. Look back at verse 1 of chapter chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he goes on to talk about Timothy's salvation. And so the first thing, that the point that he made in chapter 1 is you've been saved by grace. Look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. And then verse 6. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, you've been gifted by grace. Timothy, whatever you're able to do in God is because God has gifted you to do it. Verse 9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He says, you've been empowered by grace. You have given power for life. And uh, we go down to uh, verse 12. For these reasons, Paul says, I suffer these things, nevertheless... I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. He says, you've been secured by grace. He goes through all of these grace benefits, and talking to Timothy, he says, says, now, Timothy, live in that grace. And this is written in the sense of a command, 
which means we have to choose to obey. Now, I'm not inferring that it's an acceptable choice to disobey God. Like you can choose to be strong or you can choose to be weak. No. But what I'm saying is there has to be a recognition of all of these blessings and a recognition that God intends for us to live strong. The words be strong in this in the translation of a or, or, excuse me are in the original are in a present tense verb. Present tense means something that's ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. It's not a one-time decision that it's done and now I'm going to be strong. It's it's me constantly choosing to live in the grace of Christ and to be strong by that. This concept of making a choice is also put to us in Romans in a little different context, but the idea is the same. Likewise, you need to decide, you need to make a decision that you are dead indeed to sin. Now the reason he writes that here is in verses 1 through 10, he's been talking about the reality that if you've believed in Christ, you are dead to sin. He says, but now you need to appropriate that truth. You need to decide that you're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And based on that decision, don't let sin control your mortal body. And, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God. The basis of living a righteous life is saying, when I accepted Christ, I died with him on the cross. My old sinful nature did, and now I have a new life, and I can do right. I can say no to sin. There's no circumstance that makes you sin. There is no circumstance that makes you walk away from God. You can do the right thing, but you have to acknowledge the truth, make a decision, and walk in that way. Paul is urging Timothy to be strong in or through all that Christ has given us. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and let's look at an example of being strong in God. Exodus chapter 3. Well, in fact, what we're going to look at is sort of an example of not making that decision. Exodus 3. This is Moses having an encounter with God. And he sees the burning bush. And he hears God call to him, and he goes and he listens, and there's this interchange between him and God. Look at verse 10 now. This is God talking to Moses. He says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now drop down to verse 19. And God says to Moses, But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So... I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all of my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, gold, clothing. You shall put them on your sons and daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians." 
Then Moses answered and said, But! But suppose they won't listen to me. Suppose it doesn't work out the way you just said. See, God just said, Moses, I want you to do a hard thing. I want you to be strong and go down and do what I've said. And Moses goes, Are you sure you thought this through, God? Suppose they will not believe me. Suppose they will not listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Now, I've I've been reading this in my devotions, this book of Exodus, and I noticed something in this. We're not going to take time to go and find it. But you know, the first people God told Moses to talk to was not Pharaoh. He said, go and talk to the elders of the people of Israel. And then the elders were supposed to go with Moses to Pharaoh, which they did do in time. But he had to convince his own people. He's talking about convincing his own people, not just Pharaoh. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And so God said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran away from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. If you're a snake person, you know you grab a snake by the head, he can't bite you. But if you get him by the tail, he can still bite you. That's part of the miracle. Grab him by the tail. Reach out your hand. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand again. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom, inside your clothing. And he put his hand in, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. It means he had a a sickness all over his hand, a skin disease. And he said, Now put your hand back in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and he drew out, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you after these two things, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter, And it shall be be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river poured on the dry land and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. And he goes on to make another excuse. I mean, you and I, How many times have you thought or said or heard somebody say, well, if God will just give me a sign, I'll do what he says? No. No, you'd still disbelieve. You know what Moses' problem was? He didn't know God very well. And so he was not willing to live strong. He was not willing to go out and do this challenging thing that God put before him. But we know God, and what God is telling us, he's not telling us to be strong in ourselves. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Moses looked at himself, and he was scared to death. He looked at himself, and he looked at Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he went, I can't talk to him. He looked at the elder of Israel who had already made fun of him for taking matters into his own hand and killing the Egyptian. And he says, I can't go talk to them. He looked at them and he looked at himself and he says, I don't have what it takes. 
And if you haven't figured that out yet, Christian, that is the story of your life. You don't have what it takes. But God does. God doesn't say, you be strong. You go out there and fight that battle and just be strong. And and you've got it in you and just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You don't. You don't. But God does. And God said to Paul, when Paul had a real difficulty, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses. Do you know what? God knew that Moses wasn't a great talker before he talked to him and told him to go talk. Was that a shock to God? Did God go, oh my goodness, I've picked a guy who can't talk in front of people. What am I going to do? When God asks you to do something hard, and usually it's something out of here, and you look at it and you say, I can't do it, I can't do it. That's great. That's step one. But step two is, I can do it in him. I can live strong in him. You see, if you have human strength and human gifting, you may be tempted to try to live for God and do ministry out of that strength rather than serving out of weakness. God will call us into the uncomfortable, even the unbelievable circumstances in which we don't see how we can possibly obey his call so that he can be seen. And that's, what, that's where Timothy is at. Timothy is very much like Moses. He seems to be timid. He's hold backish. And the apostle Paul says, now go out and be strong in Christ. But that strength is not just for you to feel good about yourself. That strength has a purpose, and that purpose is to accomplish ministry. Look at verse 2. He says in verse 1, Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And here's the purpose of that strength. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This, in Christian circles, in seminary or Bible college circles or missionary circles, this is an oft-quoted verse because it gives a principle of ministry that goes right along with the Great Commission. You know, the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, teaching them the things that I've taught you and baptizing them. Well, this verse makes it a little more clear because he says, okay, if you are in a position of spiritual leadership, you need to be committing those truths to people, especially to people who can commit it to other people who can commit it to other people. There's four generations addressed here. And so God says, I want you to be strong with the purpose of making disciples. I'm reading a book about uh, one of the pioneer missionaries in Togo. Kay Washer has written her husband's been with the Lord for a number of years. And boy, they talk about just going out into the village and getting permission from the chief to preach the gospel straight up out of nowhere. And pretty soon the Lord stirs some hearts and, and uh, you know, they, make, they get a few converts and then as they keep teaching, they notice which ones are really working at it and they grab that one and say, come on and help me and they really invest. And pretty soon over a course of years, you got national pastors. That's what this verse is talking about. He says, you should invest your life in others 
especially in those who really want to be disciples. Now, that doesn't mean that you ignore everybody else. But it means that you work at passing on the Christian faith. You see, Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 9, really familiar to us. Verse 10, not quite so familiar, but it also talks about this purpose. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Why did God save us? We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. Now certainly part of that good works is just a plain righteous life. But part of that good works is the ministry of the body of Christ. As we were singing that song this morning, How Beautiful the Body of Christ, and I, I hope you realize that's a, that's a double reference song. It's talking about the beautiful body of Jesus our Savior and this beautiful body. I just was thinking about different acts of ministry that I'm aware of that people have been doing toward one another. What a beautiful thing. That's what our strength is for. He says, Timothy, go out and do the Lord's work. Be strong in doing the Lord's work. Don't be fearful in doing it. As we try to make more disciples here, we're going to need more disciple makers. We're going to come to you and say, would you do this job? Would you do that job? Would you try this? Would you try that? And one of the first thoughts that ought to go through your mind is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Rather than, oh, I can't do that. Don't be a Moses. Be a Timothy who picked up that challenge and ran with it. God says, go out and be strong as you do my work. Don't lay down and give up when the going gets tough. In fact, if you look at verse 3 of chapter 2, God says, it will get tough if you try to serve me. Look at verse 3. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Strength requires perseverance. God says... In your Christian life and in your ministry for Christ, you are not going to be bulletproof like Superman. You know, Superman, he'd stand like this and the bullets just bounced off of him. Boom, 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 boom. Or, for you more contemporary folks, the bulletproof monk who go like that and he dodges the bullets and they show it in slow motion and it spins by him. Never touches him, never touches him. You're not going to be that way. You're going to be like, bam, bam. Bam! But the difference when you're being strong in Christ is those things don't knock you over and take you out. But there is endurance to be worked on. He says you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look down through verses 3 and 4 here a minute. The image of a soldier in verse 3 and 4 the image of an Olympic athlete in verse 5, the image of a hard-working farmer in verse 6. Which of these says, come to Christ, your life will be easy, it'll be all fun and games? Okay. Now, I'd be the first one to say I enjoy the Lord, and I think he brings me great blessing. But what God challenges us to and calls us to is to say, look, don't give up when the going gets tough for the Lord. 
either personally in your own personal righteousness or in ministry. Romans 5 says, We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character hope. There have been many tasks I have done in upgrading my home in these last nine years that have required perseverance. Now, I have developed a fair amount of skill in many areas of home maintenance. I've been doing painting for years and years of all kinds. And uh, I'm a good painter, and I enjoy a good painted product, but I do not enjoy persevering through the paint job. I don't. You know, and I especially don't enjoy getting up on the slanty part of the roof where the gable is above it and getting under like this, all on my back, all underneath there, painting that little white part. Time to be somewhere else. And honestly, as I was painting that, the Lord said, here's an opportunity for you to learn perseverance, Dave. And I thought, yeah. The job needs to be done. Uh, you know, you see, the mistake we make is, is thinking that gifting makes ministry easy. No, gifting makes it happen, but it requires endurance and perseverance. It requires hard work and not giving up. Just because we're good at something in the Lord's work, even gifted, doesn't mean we will avoid the need for perseverance. One, one commentator put it this way, God, God does not hand out brochures offering all kind of fringe benefits to those who become Christians. On the contrary, he enlists them as soldiers and calls upon them to engage in a battle that will not end until their death or until the Lord returns. Not only do soldiers are, are soldiers expected to persevere through difficulty, but being a good soldier requires devotion. Look at verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him. Now, the, the, the mental image of, of soldiering back then is a little different than our modern uh, mentality. It would be a little bit more like in the colonial days of our country when here's a fella and he gets together a militia and they go as a unit, you know, some unit out of North Carolina or Connecticut or wherever it is, and that, that's his little militia, his little army, and he recruits people in. That was what happened in the times, uh, in the times of the Bible a man would recruit people into his army and, and you were serving him uh, as in the army. And, and God says, you understand that when a man gets in the military, he doesn't get to stay completely hooked up to the stuff of this life. When, in the New King James, when it translates this, the affairs of this life, it's the word we get pragmatic from, the pragmatics of life, just the stuff of daily life. Listen to this challenging passage written by Paul about marriage and singleness. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. 
There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper that you may serve the Lord without distraction. In this passage, 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says, it would be best for you if you could just stay single and serve the Lord. But he says, I know God hasn't given that gift to everybody, so it's okay to get married. But he clearly says, when you are married, you have an important role to play of caring for your wife, caring for your husband, and there is a diminishment of time and energy that can go in the ministry. He doesn't criticize it. He doesn't lift up celibacy as somehow more godly than marriage. He doesn't say that. But he's just stating the facts, if you will. And as we come back to this passage on on being a good soldier for Christ, he says, look, as a soldier for Christ, somehow we have to look at the stuff of life and say, am I so entangled, literally it says interwoven, that I can't do the ministry God is calling me to? Now, what does that look like for you? I don't know. Uh, You know, honestly, I think we have to think through every part of our life. Say, do I have too many social engagements, too many sports engagements, too many business connections, too many whatever? Is that stuff so entangled my life that I'm not free to serve the Lord? Jesus put it this way. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I'll give you an example that I know of, just to try to be a little more concrete. I've known of missionaries... And I've heard of situations where parents essentially said, my kids are not going to that foreign mission field. Okay. Tough choice. God says, do you love me more than everything else in the world? Hey, that, that's why I say this isn't a one-time choice that you're good forever. It's an ongoing choice I've got to be strong in the Lord. I've got to, I've got to really look at how connected I get and, and let go of things and, and be most connected to the Lord. When the first Gulf War came, uh, there was a huge call-up of reserve troops. And uh, one of the things that happened was many of them were quite put out with the fact that they were called up for a year of duty in Saudi Arabia. Now, the reason for this is not totally their fault. The reason for this is all of the years of peace we had before that. You see, they got to thinking that being in the reserve was about two weekends a month and two weeks a year and collecting a a small pension, not a huge pension, at the end of their 20 or their 30. Because that's the way it had been ever since Vietnam was over. We didn't have major conflicts. There weren't mass call-ups or reserves. So they got to thinking being a soldier is more about getting a paycheck than about being ready to fight the battle. Right now, if you join the army, where do you expect to be next year? 
in Afghanistan or Iraq or Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that, if you join the army as a chaplain right now, you're going straight to the sandbox somewhere for a year. No doubt about it. Okay? So when people come in or, or when they approach that, they go, am I willing to go into battle? And they make a more intelligent choice, if you will. As Christians, you may not have been aware that there is a spiritual battle going on that has been going on since the Garden of Eden, and it will go on until Christ finally chains up Satan in hell, which was prepared for him. And there will be this tremendous battle going on all of your life. And so when you try to serve the Lord, Satan is going to push back. He's going to push back through the world. He's going to push back in all kinds of ways. And you're going to have to decide if you're a soldier or a wannabe. Because it is possible. It is possible to be strong in the Lord. But look what happened to the Ephesian church. The same people that Timothy was pastoring, this is written about them in the book of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and had patience and labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that somehow the Ephesians, instead of being all enamored with Christ, had gotten too enamored, too connected, too interwoven with the world. And it dragged them down spiritually. Christian, the strength of God comes as we devote ourselves to his life and his work, first and foremost. And that also produces the next quality of strength, which is the quality of obedience in verse 5. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You cannot achieve God's quality of life and the impact of service without following God's instructions. You cannot allow the goal of making disciples to justify any kind of activity at all. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in, in 1 Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or fancy flowery speech or the wisdom, in other words, uh, philosophical sophistication of speech, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Apostle Paul was like Dal Washer going into Togo. He went into a, a pagan village and said, Hey, I'm here to talk about Jesus. And he read the scripture. It's just straight up plain. Nothing fancy, nothing manipulative about it. If you're going to do the Lord's work, you have to do it in God's way. The end doesn't justify the means of getting there. This last week, I heard an interview on the radio, and then I went to the YouTube uh, TV interview. And I'm not going to name the church because I'm not trying to defame them. But there's a church in the Seattle area having an event, a fundraising event called Drinks for Drinks. And they're raising money to build uh, clean wells in some third world countries. I don't know exactly where. And so they're having an event in their church. You pay $20 and you get admittance to a concert 
done by a local secular rock band who plays cover music. That means they play other people's music in the taverns. They're well-known in the Seattle area. You get into the concert, you get a drink, either beer or wine, and a hot dog. And they're going to use that event to raise money to build wells for some third world country. And the pastor appeared on TV wearing a Red Hook t-shirt. Now, if you don't know what Red Hook is, it's a brand of beer. Great! They're doing the Lord's work. Really? What happened to standing up in a village? Say, there is a God who created the world, and he says that you desperately need him. And so he sent his son, who lived a perfect life and died to pay for your sins. You see, we've lost confidence in that message. And so we have to do all kinds of excellencies of speech to try to connive people into quote-unquote ministry. God says, you need to play by the rules. If you're going to be a godly, strong Christian, it's, got to, it's not just the end that matters, but it's the means of getting to that end. The work of God must be done in the way of God. And so what is our encouragement in this? Well, the encouragement is this. Strength results in reward. Look at verse 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. In all of this talk about difficulty, the Apostle Paul says, Now Timothy, the guy who works so hard to raise a crop that he's going to sell, he gets to eat off that crop too. Now he's not talking about guys like me, just, he's not just talking about guys like me who make money, who, who earn a living by preaching the gospel. What he's more so saying is when you do God's ministry, there is an impact, a positive impact to your soul first and foremost. And I, I can absolutely attest to this. And I can attest to it as a parent as well. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What makes me happy? Isn't it even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you imagine this missionary, Dal Washer, who goes out into the boondocks of Togo and, and just starts preaching? And he did the same thing up in Benin, just starts preaching, and people get saved. Can you imagine him? He, you know, here's the, here's the Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ. And he's standing there. He's already got his reward. And here comes this parade of Africans. Not only the people he led to the Lord, but the people they led to the Lord. And down to four generations like we see here in verse 2. Can you imagine what he'll think? Can you imagine how excited he'll be? Go, wow, that's so cool! And part of that happens right here, right now. Next week we're going to see a, a younger woman and a more mature woman get baptized. And you all have ministered in their lives. We didn't have a part in the salvation of one, but we did in our, whole, in our overall ministry and the salvation of the other. Oh, excuse me, that's not right. Both the parents with the younger gal and, in fact, the parents with both of them. But from time to time, we hear about people getting saved. A couple of weeks ago, Mike Hennessy came to me after church. He goes, hey, at the end of church, Cadence turned to me and said, can I have Jesus in my heart? Man, if you're not smiling now, something's wrong with you. 
Because we all participate in that ministry. We all ministered to her mom, and her mom got saved. And we're ministering to them, and the Lord is working. And I, I don't know about you, but that warms my heart. The hardworking farmer is first to partake of the crops. What a wonderful thing. There's an old saying that's not in the Bible, righteousness is its own reward. Let me put it this way, ministry brings its own reward. Until you get in and really get with God's people and and get with some of God's people not yet and work with them and see God work, you cannot understand this blessing. But what I'm telling you is when that happens, not only will you be blessed, but you get stronger. I could tell all kinds of story about how great my kids are, but I won't embarrass them or puff them up. But I know, in part, that part of who my kids are is the result of the work of Sue and I as their parents. Now, I don't take all the credit for that. I give God the glory for that. But when I see them do well, and when you see your kids do well, there's a great sense of joy there. And that happens in the ministry as well. Next month, Sue and I will be at our pastors and wives retreat with pastors and wives from all over the Northwest. And We've even invited one of our speakers from Chicago who used to pastor here. And we will be telling stories about you and about their people. And I'm here to tell you, we'll be telling you what great things the Lord has been doing. And we'll be rejoicing. We'll be rejoicing. And what Paul says is, Timothy, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be blessed. Oh. Lastly, strength is multiplied by meditation. When you look at verse 7, consider what I say. The word consider is also a present tense command. In other words, there's an ongoing nature to this obedience. And it literally means put your mind on this. There are several words for thinking in the scripture. This one means put your mind on it. In other words, um, if, if my Bible was closed up over here and I took it out and said, I'm going to read and think about this truth, then that's me putting my mind on the truth. You can also do it when you're away from the Scripture. I have a passage that I've, I've memorized and forgot two or three times, but I, I stick a little paper in my pocket when I go to exercise. And uh, I've got a new habit now at a certain point. After I do this and this, I'm going to... I'm going to get that piece of paper out and I'm going to rehearse that passage of Scripture and try to get it more deeply committed to memory, but i got the passage there to help me. I'm actively putting my mind on that passage. And the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, the only way you're going to truly understand what I've just said about soldiering and farming and, and being an athlete for God is to actively think on the things that I have just been telling you. But... He, what he says is that you're not just going to understand that. Look what he says. You're going to get understanding in all things. You want to be, uh, forgive the, the lightness of the word, you want to be smart in a godly kind of way? And put your mind on this stuff. The Lord will give you, as the best rendering of this passage, the Lord will give you understanding in all things. It's like James chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. When you work at understanding God's truth, when you work at that, God helps you understand those specific truths and more. And there's nothing that will make you stronger 
than having more of God's truth in you. One of the commentators said this. I thought it was so good. He said, to be sure, these words are to be spiritually apprehended, but no man will so apprehend them if he's too lazy to use his mind. Search the scriptures and the Lord will give you understanding. It does not come to one through the air. If your Bible looks like that all week long, it ain't happening. It's got to look like this and like this and like this. The Peace Corps used to have a slogan, and they said that the Peace Corps was the toughest job you'd ever love. While I think that going overseas to help impoverished people live a better life is a tough job with potentially positive results, the the toughest job you'll ever do is carrying out the ministry of Christ. The only way you will learn to love it is by doing the hard work God calls us to. He says it's hard, but we can live strong. Heavenly Father, help us. We want to live easy. We don't want to live strong. We don't want to endure. Help us. Help us get a hold of your word. Help us understand your truth. Help us live in your truth. Father, make us a group of strong people in you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.